You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Our world is filled with representatives. Our world is filled with representatives. We have political representatives in government who work for the improvement of our civic life. We have legal representatives in the courts to help us navigate legal code that we cannot manage on our own. In certain vocations, there are union representatives defending the interests of their fellow employees. If you walk into a well-managed store, a representative may lead you to find a thing that you are looking for. If a major appliance breaks in your home, the retailer may send a representative to come and do repairs. If something is wrong with any account that you have, chances are it won't be long before you're on the phone with a representative trying to get things figured out. There's even lots of talk today about representation in media because we want to be truthfully and holistically represented on the screen. Representation is all around us. And not only do we want representation, but we actually need representation every day. We want representatives and we need representatives whether we recognize it or not. This world needs representatives. But when it comes to spirituality, there is a strange disregard or ignorance of the need for representation. According to scripture, we need representation in God's government to work for the improvement of our life together. We need legal representation to help us to navigate God's law, which we could never navigate on our own. We need a union representative to defend the rights of his fellow human beings in God's covenant. We need a representative to lead us to the things that we cannot find but desperately need. We need a representative to come and do repairs on our lives and on our communities. We need to speak with a representative for the things that are not right with our account before God. We need representation that will truthfully and holistically and mercifully represent us before the view of God Almighty. This world needs representation. And today we're going to see the primary office that God created for his people to get representation. And that office is priest. That office is priest. And we're going to... Consider our text through two points for this morning. We're going to see the place of the priest and the grace of the priest. We're going to see the place of the priest and the grace of the priest. So let's look at our first point, the place of the priest. Now, last week, Pastor Joel did an excellent job walking us through the central institution in the life of Israel, the tabernacle. He walked us through all the the, the setup and all of the elaborate blueprints that were given by God to Moses for the design of his house. And what we heard was that 
God gave these designs, he gave this blueprint because God earnestly desired to dwell among his people. He earnestly desired to dwell among his people in the center of their community. And when we come to Exodus chapter 28, y'all, we're coming to the central role in the central institution. You see, when you look at Israel, this gathered community that God has rescued from slavery in Egypt, he gives them his law, his way of flourishing, his way of life, Torah. And not only does he give them his way of flourishing, but now he creates his own house right in the center of the camp. And in the center of that institution is the central role, and that central role is priest. Nobody in Israel was more important than the priesthood. There was no group of people that was more important than the priesthood. And if you want to get a sense of the ancient role of a priest, you only need to think about the modern world of representatives. When we listen to priesthood, we're often, you know, we, we have this sense that it's a very strange and foreign thing. Unless you grew up Catholic or you grew up Orthodox, the language of priest is probably not familiar to you. And it seems probably like this ancient sort of hocus pocus kind of feel to it. Like they were going to the priest to perform some kind of magic. It was sort of empty ritual. And so we need to recover our understanding of priesthood. And one of the ways that we can do that in a very down-to-earth way is just by acknowledging that we need representation every day. And we want it. And representation is one of the most helpful ways to think about what a priest is and what a priest does. And I'm making the case that priesthood is not a thing of the past. It's very much a thing of the present that we need. We need it desperately today. It doesn't matter how sophisticated you are. It doesn't matter how intellectually gifted you are. It doesn't matter what kind of credentials you have or what kind of resume you have. What kind of power or reach you have. No matter where you live. No matter what your expertise. No matter what your past. You need a priest. You need a priest. And in this text, we get the blueprint for the priesthood. This is going somewhere. Anytime you read God's story, you have to realize that it's going somewhere. It does not remain static. It grows. Uh, old school theologians would often liken what's happening in the Old Testament story to an acorn that would become a full oak tree. So right now, we're looking at the acorn that will grow into an oak tree. And we get to the priesthood. And the priests were God's established representatives that enabled bad people and bad situations to commune with a good God for his good purposes. That's what the priest did. The priest enabled bad people and bad situations of sin and brokenness and misdeed to commune with a good God for his good purposes. The Lord made it clear that he wanted to dwell among his people, but it was the priesthood that made that connection possible. And when I say it was the priesthood that made that connection possible, it was the priesthood that made that connection possible in such a way that it was safe for God to live among his people. 
Because God's presence is not safe to those who are not covered. We have a priesthood. And everybody in Israel knew the priesthood to be central to the life of the community because their work was representation. Representing God to humanity and humanity to God. But I want us, we've, many of us heard this before, haven't we? A priest represents God to people and people to God. They're mediators. And this is the primary mediatorial role that exists among God's people at this time. But I want you to think a second and slow down on the language of representation. Representation is representation. Because before the fall, humanity was presentable before God. No need for covering. No need for hiding. And it's only after the fall that humanity, if it's to have any hope of connection with God, humanity needs to be represented without all the flaws in order to be received, without the sin barrier in order to be received. And not only that, but God needs to be represented. Because many people's perceptions of God could not be further from who he claims himself to be in Scripture. God, the heavenly killjoy. God, the heavenly boss. God, the one who just wants to put tight restrictions on you. God, the one who is always getting in the way, it seems, of your pleasures and your joys and your contentment. God, the one who makes you have to go against the flow of culture in a way that's uncomfortable. God is often misunderstood and misrepresented in our minds in one of the roles of the priests. Think about this for Israel. They lived in Egypt for hundreds of years. And they had become influenced in their view of God or of the divine by watching the way that the Egyptians related to the divine. So the divine needed to be represented to Israel through their priests. This was not a capricious God. This was a covenant-keeping God, a promise-keeping God. This was not a God that you had to appease through your performance of good works. No, this was a God who made provisions for atonement for those who could not fix themselves up or clean themselves up or turn over a new leaf. God needed to be represented, and the priests were the ones who represented God to the people and said, Behold your God. And the priest was the one who represented the people after he made atonement for their sin. He represented the people before the Lord and said, Look, your beloved, your royal priesthood, your holy nation, your treasured possession, Lord. And so we're represented, viewed as spotless, after atoning work of the priesthood. Representation. What we see through the priesthood is that nobody in Israel was beyond the need of priestly ministry. And nobody in Israel was beyond the reach of priestly ministry. Everyone needed to come to the priest, and everyone was welcomed to come to the priest. And you know how we know that? It's pretty beautiful. You know that book you skip over in your Bible reading plan called Leviticus? Okay. 
All right, tell the truth, shame the devil. You know you do. All right, here's the deal. One of the most beautiful things about Leviticus is this. As the requirements for worshipers is presented, you see that God creates accessibility for people from all different socioeconomic brackets to come to God. If you didn't have enough money to have a a bull, well, then you could bring pigeons. In other words, God is saying no one on the virtue of socioeconomic distinction is meant to be kept out. And even the most grievous sins, there there was possibility of atonement for grievous sins. No one on the virtue of their badness was kept out. There is accessibility, but on God's terms, on God's terms. And we see these various passages of scripture where people transgress those terms and God showed what his holiness does to sinful people when it is not mediated. Okay. The people of Israel, look, they knew that the law could condemn the best of them, but the ministry of priests could recover the worst of them. This is the good news of the priesthood. This was the place of the priest. And look at this. This is important. It's no accident that the same God who called his people to be a kingdom of priests established a priesthood in the center of their community to fix firmly in their minds what that should look like. God called his people to be a royal priesthood. And every day they were familiar with what it was that a priest did. God wanted to form them, to form them as a priestly community by seeing the continual work of the priesthood in the center of their community. This is the place of a priest. But let's move to our second point and see the grace of the priest. And this gets us straight into our text. This gets us straight into our text and there are three, three quick passages within our larger text that I want to pull out. Chapter 28 shows us the identity and ministry of the priests through their clothing. You know, it is true that with many vocations, you can tell what a person's work is by the clothing that they wear. Doctors wear white coats. Judges wear robes. Pastors used to. (laughs) Joel's trying to get me to wear one again. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe coming to a church near you. But here's the thing. The vocation of the priest and the identity of the priest is represented in their clothing. And there's a lot that's going on in the biblical picture. But I want to pull out three things. First, verse 2. Uh, for glory and for beauty. You see that? This is the purpose of, of the particular uh, materials that are used. And do you recognize any symmetry here? Where's the last time you heard about these materials being used? In the tabernacle itself. And one of my former professors said that Aaron is seen to be a mini tabernacle a shorthand version of God's dwelling place among his people. In other words, when you see the priest, he is the dwelling place of God in miniature. He is anointed with the spirit, just like the spirit of the Lord and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When you look at the priest, 
you see the absolutely uh, close association of the priest with the dwelling place of God. But there are three images that I want to pull out for you. And this should encourage you today, Christian. And those of you who are thinking about what the Christian faith is or maybe working through issues of life and faith, this should help you to get a sense of what God is like. Look at these three images. First, verses 9 through 12. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. Listen, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. The first image is that the people are on the priest's shoulders. The people are on the priest's shoulders. In other words, he lifts them up before the Lord in prayer. He carries them before the Lord in prayer. Not in general, but by name. He carries them to the Lord and makes requests for them. The priests prayed and interceded for the people before the presence of the Lord. They faithfully remembered God's people before him in prayer. And you know why God gives this word to all of Israel? <laughs> because not only did the priest remember the people, but the people were remembering that the priest was remembering them. They knew that their names had representation in the holy place. And it's onyx stones engraved. You know what engraving means? You can't get rid of it. You can't get rid of that name represented in that holy place. No matter what, it is engraved. It's locked. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were representation for all the people of Israel. Everyone in Israel knew that they had representation, that they were carried on the shoulders of the priest into the presence of the Lord, and they were being prayed for in that holy place. Next, verses 28 through 30. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Tumim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Listen, thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. The next image, not only were the people carried on the shoulders of the priest in prayer, but here we see the people are on the priest's heart. The priest carries the people on his heart before the Lord. He carried their covenantal legal claim before the Lord so that by the virtue of the atoning blood, they would stand guiltless before him. That's what he did. And, and not only were they on his heart, family, 
Notice the material that was used. The rows of precious stones. And each single stone that was a precious gemstone was engraved with the name of one of the tribes of Israel, particularly represented before the Lord on the heart of the priest. They're on his shoulders. They are on his heart. And he carries their legal claims because the covenant says that there is provision for sinners. And if those sins are atoned for, then God in his faithfulness will honor the covenant and will hold them guiltless. Final image I want to bring out. Verses 36 to 38. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. The people are on the priest's shoulders. The people are on the priest's heart. And holiness is on the priest's mind. You see, when he goes into that place, he is representative of the people and he is holy. And what he does in his holy work as a holy representative is he takes their busted gifts that were offered for impure motives that weren't exactly always right. And through his work, he makes their gifts acceptable to the Lord. It was the priest himself who was holy, and his ministry was holy. And he made all of Israel's gifts and works holy and acceptable. Now, are you prepared to see where this is all going? Because when we get to the pages of the New Testament, we see things that seem to give us a glimmer of where this kind of story is going. We see things that look sort of familiar. We, we see in the life of Jesus a familiarity with, with some of these things. But how can we be sure that these, these things are taking us to Jesus? And that's where the writer of Hebrews, unlike anywhere else in all of the scriptures, gets specific about where this priesthood is going in full honor to the story of the Old Testament, he now takes his, his jumping off point. The, the acorn has become an oak tree in Jesus. And in chapter 8 of Hebrews, he says this. He says, now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And if I could just extrapolate for a minute and begin to help you to see what Exodus chapter 28 is leading us to see, it is this, that Jesus is our representative by God's design. It was always meant to grow toward Jesus. 
the priesthood and all of its workings and all of its functions was meant to grow toward and be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the great high priest. And the good news of our passage today, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus, as your high priest, carries you on his shoulders in prayer to the Father. He ever lives to intercede for us. And the beautiful thing is, in Jesus Christ, the stones got bigger. Because it's not just Judah and Issachar and Asher and Dan and Levi and Zebulun that are on his shoulders. It's Chris and Kenny and Deidre and Lisa and Vanessa and Michael. It's you who are on his shoulders. He represents you to the Father. He bears you up in prayer. And he prays perfectly for you. Do you know what he's praying for you? Does it seem mysterious? All you have to do to get a sense of it is to look at Jesus' earthly prayers for his people. I remember an earthly prayer when a family was in the middle of a funeral. And Jesus was heartbroken and weeping for his friends. And he stepped up to a tomb in which there was a man who had been dead four days. And before he did his miraculous work, he said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. And then he said, Lazarus, come out. In other words, his prayers are toward the work of your resurrection. He's praying for resurrection power and hope in your life. Resurrection lift so that the grave and sadness and anger and depression and heartbreak are no longer able to maintain their grip on you. Your high priest is praying for you. Look at John 17. He's praying for us. And what's he praying? That we would be one. Even as he and the Father are one. That we would be sanctified in his truth. And his word is truth. He's praying for us like he prayed for Peter that our faith would not fail. He's praying for us. Though the evil one wants to sift us, he's praying for us that we would be kept in the power of his love. He carries us on his shoulder, but guess what? He carries us on his heart. I don't know what you think God is like today, but you need to see that the God of Scripture is the kind of God that bears his people on his heart. He cares for you. He loves you. And it may not feel good right now, but that's, that's no indication that he does not feel for you and with you. If we are going to grow then we must suffer pain and loss because that is the instrument by which change happens. But here's the deal. All the while, you can lay hold of this hopeful picture that you are on your priest's heart. You are on his heart. And not just on his heart in the sense of love, But you're on his heart as he represents you in the holy place, the true tent, while he claims the new covenant on your behalf so that he can re-present you to the Father, spotless and blameless in his sight. 
And in the gospel, God is represented to us. If you ever thought that God was just a, a cold-hearted killjoy, you must look to the priest and see what he's really like because he's representing God, representing God to you again as the God of love who would rather go through hell for you than to live in glory without you. That's, that's good news. And that is the re-presentation of the God of the Bible in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are on his heart. And as long as our priest lives, so shall we be guiltless and spotless before the throne. Because we all know that the ministry of the priests of old, well, they ran out. Because your priesthood could only last as long as your life. But that's why Hebrews says that he's a priest forevermore in the order of Melchizedek. On the virtue of an indestructible life. And that's how long your representation will stand in heaven. As long as the risen one himself lives. But not only this. Holiness is on his mind. And you know what that means? That all of your little offerings before God, all your little efforts and attempts, all of the things that you try to do for God in his name are acceptable because of Jesus. They're acceptable because of Jesus. God sees even the smallest little intentions of your heart to please him, to serve him, to love your neighbors and to love him. And he delights in them. He doesn't slam them any more than you slam the imperfections of your children's paintings and drawings. He delights in them and receives them. So take joy in that. And don't let your perfectionism stop you from serving. Because it will never be perfect on your virtues. But it will always be perfect in the eyes of the Father on Christ's virtues. All of your service. All of your gifts. Presentable now. But you know what this means for us, y'all? You know what this means? This is what it means. It means that we now have the resources to continue on in our priestly calling. You will never live as a priestly people until you have experienced the priesthood of Jesus for you. And once you have experienced the priesthood of Jesus for you, well, then you get a new identity. And we live in the world, and we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ for beauty and glory. So that we may live in the world in a different kind of way. So that when we live in the world, we live as a priestly people for our neighbors. And you know what happens when we live as a priestly people for our neighbors? We carry our neighbors on our shoulders before the Lord in prayer. Not just, oh God, bless the neighborhood. But Lord, would you bless Antoine and Marshall? Lord, would you bless Mr. Ball and Miss D? Would you bless Mr. Gregory and Miss Karen? Lord, would you bless my neighbors? Would you meet them? Would you help me to show hospitality to them and to serve them and love them and to represent you to them? And by God's grace, would you, in your kindness, represent them to the Father? We carry them on our shoulders in prayer and we carry them on our hearts, y'all. We carry them on our hearts. We live a different kind of existence before our neighbors. This is how Peter puts it in chapter 2 of his epistle. He says, as you come to him, 
a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones, living stones, come on. Living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you see the priesthood ministry right here? The priestly ministry. We take it up now. Not to atone for sin, but the offerings of fellowship and peace offerings. Because we have this peace and this fellowship with God in the gospel. We must have our neighbors on our shoulders because we know ourselves to be on Jesus' shoulders. Prayer, y'all. Application. We must, look, look. You don't have to have any special gifts to pray. You don't have to have any special competencies to pray. You don't need advanced degrees to pray. You don't need a particular amount of money to pray. You don't have to have your life together in a certain kind of way to pray. Prayer is one of the greatest instruments of advancing God's kingdom. And I'm always reminded of that great Oswald Chambers quote that prayer does not fit us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. Do you want to love this neighborhood? Well, then pray. Do you want to see change in your life? Well, then pray. Do you want to see your kids grow up and walk with Jesus for a lifetime? Well, then pray. Prayer is indispensable because prayer is the invitation of heaven's power to invade earth. Heaven's joy to invade earth. Heaven's peace and grace and truth to invade earth. It's inviting the power of God into the situation. Our neighbors on our hearts means that we must be a good news people in a bad news world. Evangelism. <gasps> yep. You got to tell people that Jesus lives. And that hope is only found in him. Why is hope only found in Jesus, contrary to popular opinion? This is why. Because we need a priest, every one of us, and there's only one kind of priest who will do with God. And that's the kind of priest who can fully represent us as a true human being and fully represent God as true God. And there is no one but Jesus Christ who is the God-man. He does what only human beings are responsible for doing in a way that only God could do it. In his humanity, he's able to submit to death. And in his divinity, he's able to conquer it. Don't you see? He is unique in his saving capacity. There is nobody like him. That's why no other way will do. And that's why there are many roads to Jesus. But one road to God. And Jesus is that road. The claims of exclusivity... Everyone has them. But here's the question. Based on what you read about the priesthood here, which exclusivity is most inclusive? Which exclusivity is most inclusive? The exclusivity that says there is a priest who democratizes access and he says there is one sacrifice that's been made for all and the only thing you need to bring is your nothing. The only contribution that you have to make is the sin that made the salvation necessary. You bring nothing to the table, but you don't need to bring anything to the table. You need to come with an empty hand 
and an open mouth and say, I need Jesus. That's all you need is your need. Is that exclusivity more inclusive? Or the one that says you have to have your, your, um, um, your social outlook in line if you want to be accepted. In other words, uh, yeah, they're not down. They're not in. They don't see things like we do. I mean, yeah, they're all, I mean, they're a decent person, but I mean, you know, they're a Republican. They're a Democrat. I mean, I mean, they're okay, but like, you know, you see every, everyone is exclusive. It is a truth claim to say, well, you shouldn't be exclusive. That, that's, a, that's a truth claim. You're, 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 you're claiming to have an exclusive truth. That everyone should have the opportunity to make their own call. That is a, an exclusive truth claim. But that's not the most inclusive exclusivity. Because there's no room for grace. There's no room for bringing people near who by all rights should not be brought near. No room for acceptance and unity and grace and friendship and fellowship in that framework. At best, you tolerate people while you despise them in your heart and you look down your nose at them. But it's only in the virtues of the Christian faith that we are called to something higher than tolerance, and that is love, because we have been loved so powerfully by our priest. We must also have on our heads holy to the Lord on our minds, holiness on our minds. And you know what holiness is? It's to live distinctively as God's people. Distinctly as God's people. To think distinctively as God's people. To live distinctively as God's people. To pray distinctively as God's people. To serve distinctively as God's people. Not to be sucked into what is most popular in the world's thinking today. Holy to the Lord on your turban. If it's just like everybody else, you might need to ask the question if you got your turban on. You see what I'm saying? Holiness, distinctiveness. We've been set apart. We've been set apart to declare the excellencies of him who called us into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Let's live as a priestly presence in the world through prayer and service. Remembering that this was a sort of professional class of priesthood in Exodus 28. But remember, God's design was always to make his people a priestly people. And now there is no pure professional grade of minister who's supposed to do all the work. Y'all got quiet out there. <laughs> Ministry is not a professional gig in the eyes of God. A worker is worthy of their wage, praise the Lord. But all God's people are a kingdom of priests. That's why we believe in the priesthood of all believers. You are a priest. Rise up into your ministry and your service in love to God and neighbor. Let's keep these things on our mind and appreciate the high priesthood of Christ that makes our priesthood effectual in the world. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.